0: Hello and welcome to the Energy Strong Podcast presented by SPL. I'm Patrick Schauer. Joining me for the first time not only in audio, but in video as well, for those of you who are watching us on YouTube, all the way from Austin, Texas, the CEO of Artemis Energy, Kat Galloway. How you doing, Kat?
1: Hey, doing great! So excited to be here on video today. This is uh, this is a new world, so we're excited to, to be coming at you live um, with with audio and and Vizio. So great, great to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, great to have you, Cat. Also joining us from somewhere in the world today, uh, the director of ESG for SPL, Andrew Parker. Andrew, how are you doing?
2: good patrick i i wish i could feel the same enthusiasm about being on camera right now but uh it feels very unnatural but i do i do like the ukraine shirt cat so i'm gonna have to you are have to order some of those for us as well
1: and where are you calling in today from andrew where in the world are you today
2: my bedroom <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah nowhere special i i didn't want to get too fancy on the first episode so um yeah, I'm real excited today to, to, to have our guest, Dan Nats, uh, uh join us. So, Dan, Dan is the uh, Executive Vice President of Government Relations and Political Affairs with the Independent Petroleum Association of America. And he's joining us from Washington, D.C. Dan, how are you doing today?
3: Doing great. Uh, doing great. Thanks for having us, uh, Kat and Andrew and Patrick. We really appreciate the opportunity to join you guys today.
2: We're really excited to get the message out there about what you guys are, are doing and what you have your your hands in and, and how you guys are, are working on behalf of the industry. And so before we jump into that real kind of high level, maybe just share with us and, and the listeners just a little bit about yourself and how you found your role at the IPAA.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. I uh, I actually have been at IPWA now nineteen years, uh, and we can talk a little bit about IPAA later. Um, uh, who who our members are, but um, I came to Washington now thirty years ago. Uh, was uh, worked on Congress, uh, worked on Capitol Hill for a member of Congress from Wyoming uh, who eventually went to the Senate. Uh, did a variety of issues, legislative issues, eventually was uh, the senator, his name was Craig Thomas from Wyoming, uh, was his chief of staff, but have handled energy issues the whole time. Uh, and as you can imagine, in Wyoming, uh, energy issues, not only oil and gas, but uh, coal, but uh, renewables, uh, Wyoming has the whole package. So uh, then came over to IPAA about 19 years ago and uh, have handled a variety of issues, but um, uh, focused really on government relations and regulatory affairs um uh, across the board, largely focused on federal lands, but also EPA and and a number of other issues.
2: That's a great background for for what you've been tasked with. So let's let's jump right into it then, and just just talk high level about you know what IPAA, who you represent, and what you guys do. I know we've had um, Ann Bradbury on, who who's with the a, uh, APXC uh, group, and so I think you guys uh, represent a slightly different uh, set of customers uh, or or producers, right?
3: Yeah, so we do. So I know Ann well, and we do a lot of work with the AXPC. They they do more of the publicly traded independent companies. Uh, some of those we share membership. Uh, IPWA has uh, has about roughly 6,500 uh, uh, producers across the country in 34 states. Uh, um, produce 90% of the country's uh, natural gas and 83% of the oil. So, as you guys know about the industry, really the independents are the truly the, the face of small business in the oil and gas industry. Our average member size is still about 25 people, and that's where Ann Ann's Association and our association a little bit different, although we share a lot of members. We we go up to some of the larger publicly traded, but really uh, we represent uh, the small independent operators in local communities across the country in texas and kansas wyoming but also pennsylvania ohio arkansas you name it Um, uh, there's a lot of oil and gas production around so that's what we do and uh you know we really are one of the things we're very proud of and i talk about how long i've been here but we uh, the independent producers are really the guys that started the shale revolution um in the united states they were the first guys who Sometimes I will tell you guys I thought they were crazy saying they're going to go down ten thousand feet, go down another eight thousand this way, and frack it, uh, you know, three times with uh, water. Uh, but uh, it's really, really uh, made the renaissance, uh, energy renaissance happen.
2: Yeah, it's crazy how they how how the technologies evolved for them to do it. It 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 really blows my mind. Um, when I'm trying to explain what fracking is and how how people produce oil and gas you know here i'm I'm in Colorado, and so obviously there's quite a bit of uh regulatory uh conversations that happen and my neighbors will come and ask me hey you know what's what is this what is it bad is it good and it's, it's uh the technology's come a long way and it, it just uh it it defies uh, defies logic sometimes
3: so uh, let you know, I'll tell you a real quick story, yeah. just congressionally. Uh, when I worked for the senator from Wyoming, we had, uh, so this was years ago, but the f- fraction was just starting out, and he came in to tell us about, this producer came in to tell my boss and, and the senator and I about what was going on, and he described this out in a field, the Jonah Field, which had been drilled over for many years, um, and we were very Pleasant, very kind. Um, I only wish that I had taken my very small congressional salary and given it to him <laughs> and bought stock because I wouldn't be working here right now. Uh, it uh, it was hugely successful, but that kind of tells you again the idea is that these guys truly are wildcatters. Um, uh, many times it works, sometimes it doesn't, but uh, uh, you know it, it's really that that innovation, that drive that that pushes so much of what's going on for our members.
0: Okay, well, I was going to say, I think I think that it's interesting to talk about how those independent companies really drove that shale revolution. That also really drove American energy independence and how we have been able to rely a lot more on domestic production and not need imported energy from other countries. I think, you know, the the big elephant in the room here right now, we're recording this podcast a week into the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And everybody's looking at the price of oil brent is over what 115 right now wti is 110 and europe is looking at an energy crisis where they either can't afford it or can't even get it because of their dependence on foreign energy so can you talk a little bit about how specifically how how your members have kind of contributed to making sure that america doesn't get into that same situation that europe has been in and how you see kind of that global environment right now, helping to, or, or how you see that impacting attitudes
3: towards energy independence? Sure. You bet. Uh, you know, uh, uh and, and we'll talk a little bit about the Biden administration, what's going on there, but you know, the, um, Again, when you talk about American, we talk about American energy security, um, and, and it's so important. And what the shale revolution brought, both in oil and natural gas, we worked very hard years, ago, a number of years ago, to get oil exports. You're talking about natural gas exports to the world. Um, And it's really all because of that shale revolution that 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 happened. And, and so for the country, we always say and for the world, it's helpful, uh, Patrick, that the that the United States is an energy superpower, it has to be, um, um, you know, uh, it really needs to have that those energy resources and then be able to use those not only here, but how it shape uh, energy markets around the world. And as you know, again, uh, oil and natural gas, but oil is particularly our worldwide um, price, uh, you know. um, And so um, you can't necessarily keep it here, but it's important to have the United States as a as a superpower. And that shale revolution really changed that. As we're moving forward and what's going to happen, you know, one of the challenges, again, we see the prices as well. And oftentimes in Washington, folks say, oh, well, you guys just, you know, you're you're just letting it go crazy. But it's always important to remember that uh, American oil producers are are price takers not price makers um uh we just have to follow where that where that market goes and you remember during the pandemic at one point it went to negative 37 um you know that this is the challenge that you get into when you're in the market so we're, we would like very much a stable market where we know uh what's happening so these prices are very concerning to us as well um the the challenge we've had um quite honestly with the Biden administration is since he came in, uh, the president has been very uh, aggressive, the administration on on uh, restricting American oil and natural gas uh, access uh, production regulations, um, certainly rhetorically, but then on the ground as well. And uh, they've really rejected uh, uh, American oil and natural gas production at every available opportunity, be that through regulations, be it through court cases. Um, There's a lot of legislation that's hanging out there. The Build Back Better bill uh, had a number of provisions, tax provisions, royalty provisions. Now, that bill hasn't passed, um, but the president, again, talked about it last night, which would really impact our members' ability because you're talking about tax treatment. You're talking about royalties. You're talking about additional costs. All of this starts to have an impact on our members' ability, but even larger companies' ability to operate here. So that's the frustration we really... We really would like to be a partner um, with the administration. We think, uh, you know, American energy producers, oil and natural gas producers should be a partner as we're moving forward into these very unsettled times um, and and can help with that. But it's a challenge when you're constantly under uh, uh, what our members feel, at least under attack uh, from the regulations, from uh, all the other activities that are going on.
0: Do you see any opportunities at all for that attitude to shift as we enter this high price environment and the geopolitical situations right now? Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Kat.
1: (laughs) You're taking all my questions, Patrick.
0: (laughs) I'm trying to get in
1: here. I'm like, I'm like saying yes. I mean, I'm sorry. I just feel like 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 we are, you know, this isn't now a matter of national security, right? This isn't just the oil patch wanting to produce you know, economically, this is this is seriously now part of our security. And so I I definitely want to hear what IPAA is doing out there on the Hill. How do we get this message across?
3: Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think uh, you know a couple things so we're working very hard uh to, to to every day get the message out and and we can talk about some of our communications efforts but i will tell you and this is from the wall street journal today they said the climate left still has a chokehold on the biden presidency um there has been this real challenge so far that climate is everything they've been talking about climate uh constantly whether you're talking about energy production whether you're talking about Manufacturing, whether you're talking about anything, and that that still hasn't changed to the point where sometimes, cat, uh, you hit a great point. It it's crazy. They 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 will go to um, certainly not the last couple of weeks, but they will go to Russia and OPEC asking them to bump up. Uh, crude crude production when we have it right here. But the issue is we're going to stop it in the United States. We're going to stop it on federal lands. We're going to stop it uh, in uh, in the offshore. So we've got our work cut out for us. But I think, Patrick, going to your question also, I think this is an opportunity and it's not something, again, uh, emergencies make people kind of reassess and look at everything. And certainly the world is in an emergency situation right now. The very questions that Kat was talking about just logically what are we going to do how are we going to do it um, you have members of congress and that's who we're talking to um, uh, who say okay look what are we going to do but i would also be lying to you that the level of um, kind of misinformation and uh, lack of knowledge one of the things we always talk about and i know you guys know in the industry um, we do it cleaner we do it better uh, we produce cleaner, better issues like methane. Our industry understands we've got to do better and we continue to do that better. But this is gonna take some time. And so you really have to have a long-term discussion about American energy policy because oil and natural gas are gonna be a huge part of that for a long time. And we all say, we're not the only answer. There's gonna be renewable, there's gonna be wind, there's gonna be solar but you can't do it overnight and unfortunately so far that climate left that has the chokehold on the biden presidency has been able to to push that narrative so we're going to continue to, to talk on the hill but we're also going to continue to talk to the press do events like this and i hopefully the american public will start to understand the the energy emergency that the uh, cat you described which is exactly right <laughs>
2: We will be right back to the Energy Strong Podcast, but I want to tell you about our sponsor, SPL. They offer end-to-end testing, measurement, and reporting solutions across the entire hydrocarbon value chain. Through cutting-edge technology, meticulous processes, and highly qualified personnel, SPL offers insights you can trust and act on. Check them out online at spl-inc.com. That's spl-inc.com. And now... Back to the show. We asked Ann Bradbury this question. I'm gonna ask you the same thing. Is it as polarized inside the beltway when it comes to oil and gas as it feels like it comes off on, you know, from the media, right? The media makes it sound like we're so far, you know, Republicans and Democrats are so far apart when it comes to energy policy and climate change and, and the role oil and gas and, uh, will play as a transitional fuel or or is there there more behind the scenes kind of you know mutual agreement and it's just that far left like you said that that's really got the stranglehold hold on the administration right
3: yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, unfortunately, in Washington, the far left and the far right, uh, the both sides who make so much noise um, are the ones that really fill up the room when you're talking about it. And most thoughtful policymakers understand um, that you're going to need American oil and natural gas. And it's a real opportunity I'm not saying um that uh, you know there aren't disagreements, but there is a a view that you're going to have to move forward. Now the 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 noise that comes from the left uh, has so far with the Biden administration been. Uh, very persuasive with the president, um, with what's going on. And again, I, I want to stress, we, we understand um, the importance of trying to address climate change. We believe that's uh, that we can uh, contribute to that. Again, if you look at what's happened with the shale revolution, the uh, air is cleaner than it's been in, in so many years. And as I talked about, we're getting at methane and other issues. But, um, you know, we even talked, and I know last night it was another, n- nobody at IPWA is saying drill, baby, drill. Um, what we're saying is let's have a thoughtful uh, discussion about American energy policy. Let's have good policies in place that will allow our members to get out there, produce, produce an environmentally sound manner, which protects the land, the footprint continues to get smaller and let's have a real discussion about it. So it's not as bad, Andrew, I think as sometimes is portrayed, but it is, I will say this administration has been as challenging as I've seen because of I'm, again, quoting the Wall Street Journal, the chokehold that uh, the climate uh, climate uh, folks have on the presidency right now.
2: So let me ask a follow up question of that then is, how do we take back the narrative and how do we educate people? This oxymoron of oil and gas and climate, we, we actually can be part of the solution, right? And and how do we take back the narrative and get the message across to people who don't believe us when we say, we can be part of the solution, not part of the
3: problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's going to be a lot of education. Um, and, and again, some of that is is kind of day-to-day grinding. Um, as you guys also know, it's very expensive. Uh, um, our view is that we do better on the ground locally in congressional districts or in states. We have a program called Energy in Depth um, if you haven't looked at it, you should look at it. It's uh, it gets out the facts. Um, it talks about it. We have a communications team that uh, that is constantly talking. But I will. Uh, I have a colleague who said, you know, it is uh, it is a real challenge when you're talking about climate. And he said, you know, the the press publication that uh, has the, the the strongest climate views of anybody and somebody's they raise their hand and they said new york times or they said msnbc and he said no senior scholastic um his kids bring home senior scholastic in the fifth sixth seventh grade and he said if you read this stuff it just immediately says climate emergency the world is burning up and so you know we have to continue to get out and engage with uh younger groups uh, and talk and and have a discussion. The other one that I think is really important, and and as you're talking about inflation and manufacturing and the supply chain, is the other thing, natural gas is such an important part of manufacturing, such an important part of uh, chemical production, plastics, uh, you know, it's not just what's happening at the burner tip. So it's good all the way around. But. Um, it. Uh, I'm not saying poor us. We've got to do a better job because you hit it, Andrew. We've got to educate folks uh, uh, in a in a more comprehensive and complete way when we're talking about this.
2: Yeah, it's a it, it's just a conversation I had at lunch with someone about you know taking back the narrative and educating educating um, you know the general general public. It, it there's no there's no one solution. It's a very complex problem, but it's one like. I'm a climate scientist by trade, so I went. I studied paleoclimatology in, in grad school, and so I, you know, I know that climate scientists have been generally wrong for many, many years in terms of the catastrophic scenarios that they like to, to, uh, to propose. And so it's it's a, it's a frust- it's frustrating. But um, so so maybe transition then away into the world of ESG because there was an ESG question I wanted to, to talk to you about, and that that is you know we hear a lot about ESG these days, and. Specifically, you hear about it a lot in the context of the large publicly traded tier one companies, right? That have the funds and the resources and the expertise to, you know, to be nimble and change and implement technologies and and decarbonize as they've committed to. But what is the independent approach to ESG?
3: Yeah, so uh, it's a great question and something we understand. Uh, uh, IPAA launched an ESG center in uh, 2020. Um, again, you know, again, you're a climate scientist. The, the ESG is always frustrating because what what does that actually mean? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. And I don't mean that in a derogatory manner. You know, how do how do you get certification? How do you do that? But we understand we've launched a, a, um, a program because it is important. Um, For even non publicly traded companies to understand to 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 work through this, we we run a lot in with uh, banks, Um, you know, a lot of our members borrow money and anymore the banking system is under um, under pressure to not loan money to uh, to uh, to fossil fuel companies, to oil and gas companies, and so uh, you know you talk about BlackRock, but you also talk even there's a Fed nominee a nominee to the, the Federal Reserve who who wants to use that as a as a tool to uh, stop having banks loan money to to our members. So what we do is talk about that uh, with them at our ESG center, um, work through, try to, to to solve those issues. And again, it is so. Um, It's so important. Uh, Again, nobody is nobody is not uh, talking about doing it better, doing it smarter, cleaner, but also important to the the social aspect of that. One of the things that IPAA has done for many years is uh, an educational outreach program that we have in the Houston schools um, teaching um, energy education. Um, where we've had over 25,000 students. I had to check my notes to make sure. 25,000 students have gone through the program, not just talking about oil and gas, but talking about engineering, talking to many of these people that are the first people to go to college. We've had a million dollars worth of scholarships. And so the impact that our members have on their communities is also part of that social. I mean, so often E in ESG is environment, and that's it but there's a social part of that. And so we need to continue to talk about it. It's something that our president has put a high priority on and our member companies have. And then you look around any community. I talked that I worked for a Senator from Wyoming. Um, uh, the, the impact on um, schools, the impact on roads, the impact on so much of what we do, um, you know, is vital as you're talking about these issues.
1: Absolutely, and, and from, from my perspective, um... I spend a lot of time in the E on the ESG world. That's definitely kind of how I fit into the mix. Um, what are kind of the top environmental issues then really that that your membership is struggling with right now?
3: cat uh, the biggest one is methane. Uh, you know, it, it, comes up in so many ways. Uh, the, uh, at the federal level, the EPA is, is, uh, going to promulgate some new regulations, methane, how you do that again, our view is that you need to have, uh, a strong state program, um, to get at that. Uh, methane comes up in so many different ways. It's interesting how that, uh, discussion, you know, the environmentalists now, anybody you talk to, it's always about methane. Um, so, so, um, I think methane is is the biggest one. It's been interesting also for many years, hydraulic fracturing, the attack was the, you know, it's gonna contaminate water, it's gonna contaminate, that's gone away, I'm not saying completely, but the facts start to finally bear down and the industry uh, did a good job again, energy and depth on our side uh, talked about that constantly, but I think methane is a big one. I think you're also gonna run into just straight up access. how not only on federal lands but the use of the national environmental policy act um, to slow down um, making again this goes beyond even the oil and gas industry um, making it so difficult to get the permits that you need to to operate to do that and the other thing that's so important uh, you guys know but we, we represent the upstream um, so our guys are, are strictly upstream but you've got to get pipelines. you've got to get you got to get that product out to markets And so um, you know many in the environmental community have also then gone at the pipes. you try to stop it. We're talking um, on Thursday the Senate Energy Committee is going to have a hearing um, with uh, FERC um, and I'm not a FERC expert it's a really it's again I've been here a long time. FERC used to be kind of the sleepy little agency. That did a good job of permitting uh, natural gas pipelines. Now every FERC meeting is uh, is just a knockdown out battle. Um, but it goes back to climate. Um, they want to look at the climate impacts beyond the actual project to what would be happening as this as this gets out. So um, I can tell you methane is is the big one. Um, how you're going to do it, how industry is going to do it um and then certainly co2 uh co2 sequestration is another question that's coming up um, um and again we're we're open to any ideas uh, but it's uh it, it certainly is a challenge
2: and correct me if i'm wrong but i think FERC just came out with some new guidance uh, last week on permitting new pipelines and having to prove you know certain methane um methane intensities you know and and the, you know, make it that much more difficult already to get infrastructure built um, if you're having to basically prove methane intensity of the pipeline before you can even build it. Is that, yeah? So,
3: yeah, spot on, spot on. That's exactly, and that's what the hearing. Um, even Joe Manchin, uh, who's the chairman, Democratic chairman from West Virginia, is has said this is that's insane. Um, I that's probably I don't want to put words in Senator Manchin's mouth. He said it's a it's a misguided policy. Um, And they're gonna have a long conversation with all the FERC commissioners, but you hit on it again, Andrew, that that's what you have to do is look at the the intensity. And again, it, it, that's another explanation because I will tell you you know I talk to my family about they just think I'm in the oil and gas industry and their immediate answer is why is my gasoline price so high um, and so I start to talk about our production what we're doing but then we rely on the pipes and, and after about five minutes at the Thanksgiving table they say enough Dan I'm, I'm just I'm tired of it but it is really complicated and as you layer in all of these regulatory permits that have to be done to do what we eventually do when you're producing in very remote areas to get oil and natural gas to to the market it's 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 important
2: it's uh to the comment earlier about how fracking is even a thing and the technology is amazing the fact that you when you start to layer in infrastructure and then regulatory it's amazing some of these companies can operate you know that the regulatory hurdles that they have to jump through in some states especially here in colorado is just it's hard to believe you can you can actually operate in, in, in Colorado. I mean, we're seeing it just this week, right? PDC is buying Great Western. Um, and so you're mm-hmm. seeing continued consolidation in this asset as regulations just make it harder and harder and harder to profitably operate in the state. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the, the stuff with FERC, and we've, we've talked a lot about uh, at the GPA, GPA Gas Processors Association is, you know, there's all these, all these conversations, of, okay, methane intensity 0.2 0.2% methane intensity how do you prove it right how do you measure it how do you you know there's all this there's all these guidances coming out but it's ahead of where the industry is and and really the you know industry from upstream to midstream and services on how to actually handle measure and certify what they're asking us to produce and uh, I'm just you know it's it's a challenge right
0: Well, you're you're living. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it it, it also feels a little bit hypocritical when those replacement sources of energy aren't held to that same standard of saying that you have to prove your energy intensity or your climate intensity for, you know, whatever it is that's going to be built in its place so
3: no you know it's a great point and so andrew i'm actually from denver originally and so colorado has been really an interesting you know at some point and we talk about this and it's not a threat but if you make the regulation so hard if you add so many uh, make it so tough look i mean the western slope of colorado I and mean, there's production through the state colorado used to be a much more vibrant oil and gas uh, play but at some point Companies make decisions to go somewhere else, and to your point, Patrick, um, it just seems that if you, it's not uh, that that what seems to be at play here is we're going to stop it here. We're going to stop it in the United States, Um, and that may make you feel good. That may, you know, then you can say, yeah, we're, we're done. But exactly what you talked about, I saw Senator Murkowski was talking earlier about Russian natural gas production and the Secretary of Energy herself has said it's so much, it's produced so much dirtier, um, you know, you want to talk about methane, That's it, but the, it seems to be we're just going to stop it here and then we'll feel better about this issue which is a global issue and we we need to be part of that conversation we have to be part of that conversation but you can't just make yourself feel good and wash your hands and say i'm i'm you know we're done we don't do it in the united states anymore
1: absolutely i'm yeah the the emissions travel right it, it if if this administration was truly interested in climate change or reducing emissions, it would think globally. My feeling is that this is about control, right? What can the U.S. control? It can control U.S. production. So, you know, I'll be damned about what I say for the rest of the rest of the world. But Dan, you've got a, uh, A a tough road ahead of you, I think, in the next couple of weeks and months um, on the Hill. I'm I'm excited to hear um, what you're going to be up to. I I know things must be very challenging right now. And, you know, we definitely wish you and IPAA well in in the upcoming months um, in D.C. Could you, uh, for our listeners and our viewers, um, give us maybe some references? uh, Tell us about your website. How can we reach you? How can we support you? The organization.
3: Sure, that's great. You bet. Well, first of all, again, we thank the thank you guys and and thank the the podcast for uh, the opportunity. It's a great conversation, and we're happy to do it any time. Uh, first of all, IPAA, um, It's uh, www.ipaa.org. If you go there, there's a lot of information we have, and certainly there's membership information. We we always. Uh, you know, it's important to keep this message going. Um, I can't tell you how important it is for the industry to have a voice, a small producer voice uh, uh, on the Hill and with the regulatory agencies and going on. The other one I would say is um, energy in depth, which is a part of us. Um, but you should really, everybody should look at that. Um, and, and it's uh, uh, www.energyindepth, all word.org um, if you look at that, there is a ton of information on a whole variety of issues. It's a it's a project that we've uh, is near and dear to our hearts, and is some really good information on on all kinds of of things. If you have questions, or if your listeners or viewers have questions about what we do and how we do it, so those are. Those are the two big ones. Again, we really appreciate the opportunity um, to be here. And uh, tomorrow, I'm going to Ohio. I'm going to talk to the Ohio Oil and Gas Association. So we're getting out talking to the states. I should mention that IPWA is strictly uh, federal, but we do a lot of work with all the state oil and gas trades, who you know um, so well. So uh, we're going to keep uh, we're going to keep fighting and keep pushing.
2: Well, we appreciate you taking the time today, Dan, to join us and appreciate all the work that you, you guys are doing on, on the policy and advocacy front for the industry. And, uh, you know, we'll look forward to uh, seeing all the progress and uh, that you guys are are, are making. And uh, maybe we'll have you back someday soon.
3: Good, guys. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Dan. Well, thank you, guys. We appreciate it. We really do appreciate
0: the opportunity. You're back. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Well, that's it for the show. Thank you so much for listening and watching those of you who joined us on YouTube today. Once again, want to remind everyone we are now recording video. So you if you want to see what our offices or recording studios or wherever Andrew happens to be that week, uh, check us out on YouTube. That's the Energy Strong channel on YouTube. Also, please remember to leave comments, ratings, reviews, wherever you listen or watch. It really helps us out and helps spread the word about the podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, now that we're doing video, you can get your little logo put right up there on the screen where all these other logos are gonna be. Uh, It's a good way to get your sponsorship money to work. And also any sponsorships that we do get, all the revenue from that is going to support our nonprofit partners, which again, right now is the Porter Billups Leadership Academy here in Denver. You can learn more about them online or you can check out our first episode where we have an interview with them. Also, I just want to say thank you to SPL for helping to present this show, to Energy Strong for giving us this platform to talk about these things, and newly to Sandstone, who is helping us to produce the video portion of this podcast. But finally, thank you to all of our listeners and our viewers. Uh, We couldn't do any of this without you guys, and we look forward to seeing you again next time.